Senator Kramer, welcome back to Point of View. Always great to have you. I know we've got you for a limited time, so I want to jump right in here. And I'm going to start with something that is shocking cancel culture. We're doing a town hall here today. One of the first questions that came in for you was, hey, what's Senator Kramer going to do to help protect my First and Second Amendment rights? So if you don't mind, sir, I'm going to take a little bit of time to set this up, and then I want to get your reaction and ask you about it, okay? So last night, uh, it was actually one year ago yesterday where President Trump stood up and talked about, hey, just 15 days to stop the spread. He did a press conference. It was him, Dr. Fauci, Vice President Pence, Deborah Burks, a bunch of people. What happened, sir, is we did a mashup last night. We played a little bit of President Trump, a little bit of Dr. Fauci, a little bit of Vice President Pence, a little bit of uh, Dr. Burks. And then I posted on Facebook, and here's what it says. Your video is partially muted because it may contain music that belongs to someone else. They said Morning Joe. I personally have no idea what they're talking about. But what I want you to see here, Senator, is watch what happens when I press play here on President Trump. And I'm going to fast forward a little bit to the exact same clip and go to Dr. Fauci and just notice something. Can you hear him, Senator? I cannot. Exactly. Now watch this. July. The Can guidelines are a 15-day trial guideline to be reconsidering. Your Dr. Fauci, Senator. And that will be yep. in effect until July. But the president was saying that. So Facebook, and I'm going to bring this up here. Facebook muted, Senator, the only part of that video of President Trump. And I want to share with you a little bit about what Many he said. Times, Anthony, and I they think I ask him that question every day. And I speak to Deborah, I speak to a lot of them. I get the opinion. So it seems to me that if we do a really good job, uh, we'll not only hold the death down to a, a level. So for time's sake, I, you know, but we played about a minute of that, sir. And they, the only part of the video that was muted was president of the United States in a COVID presser. Please tell me what you were doing to Facebook, Twitter, these companies to stop this cancel culture. Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, with regard to Facebook and, and all of the other tech giants, and I'd be very interested, frankly, in, in thoughts that your viewers might have about this. Remembering that they are private companies, that they have investors, that um, they are not broadcasters, unlike, say, uh, somebody that's broadcasting over the the, uh, the airwaves, like like uh, TV stations and radio stations do, which is, of course, public spectrum, and you know about all of that. But they, but they are nonetheless, um, in my view, they, they should be subject to some form of, of regulation, including uh, the standards of decency. Uh, that's where the 230 protections get in. The problem is this, though, in terms of what am I, quote, doing about it. We, we can do things like we're doing right now, keep highlighting it. We can keep the pressure on. Uh, we can ask these, you know, these, these CEOs and whatnot questions and various hearings. Uh, my fear, though, is, is that the only way to really get them to change their behavior is to litigate it. Uh, I, I do think there's some bipartisan support for going after some of the tech giants for different reasons. And for Democrats, one of the biggest reasons is, is they just make too much money or they don't share their revenue, their ad revenue with others that ride on their platforms. Um, for Republicans or for conservatives, it's the it's this First Amendment issues. It's the violation of people's First Amendment rights. And in, in the fact that they're monopolies or near monopolies, I think does provide some opportunity for other types of litigation. And this is where the states are, are getting involved. And that has to do with antitrust. 
Um, but, but remembering that not all tech companies are the same. Facebook's not the same as Twitter. Twitter's not the same as, say, uh, as to say Amazon, Amazon with its servers. None of them are the same as an internet service provider, which, which is more sort of a common carrier. Um, so it's complex, Chris. Uh, my the answer I'd love to give you is what we ought to do is we need to find a way to incentivize or inspire competition, and that's going to be really really hard to do when a company has the kind of lock on the marketplace like a Facebook has. So, um, but I think we just just have to keep dragging them in front of committees. We have to keep so, threatening them with legislation as well as as litigation. And I, and I hear everything you're saying, sir. I, I think where I'm struggling, our audience is struggling, is the fact that we are under this idea we live in the freest country in the world. And that, that's probably true. But my point is that this wasn't some random video. This was actually video taken from a white from from the White House YouTube channel a year and a day ago. There was nothing nefarious said there. And right. the fact that a company can silence the president of the United States, I guess, bigger picture, what do you, that 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 yeah. could happen to you? Yes. Yeah, so, yes, it can. I would expect it might someday. Um, I pushed the boundaries a little bit. Can I, can uh, I, can I just pause for one second? Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you because I guess the, the other piece that I wanted to add there is that the, the most disheartening piece to me here that, that Facebook did, because honestly, if I wouldn't have done the homework, I would have just looked at this and thought, oh, apparently there was music in my video that I didn't. There is no music in this video. There's there's no morning, Joe. So they're lying about it. Yeah. So they're, they're lying. Their, their excuse is, is made up. Um so again, unless there's a law violated, and we could argue that there's a constitutional right that has been violated in the president of the United States, um, but here's what I don't understand, Chris. I, I, so if, unless there's a law violated, you know, it's hard to go after them with some sort of enforcement mechanism until such time there'd be a regulation or a new law created. And we'll continue to work on those. I think the 230 protections, that is the, the as you know, that's the Decency Act protections of liability protections that they enjoy, um, that a newspaper doesn't enjoy, by the way, um, that, that a new television station news department doesn't enjoy. But these guys do. Um, and that's that's one area where we have gone after them. I've joined in letters. I've joined in legislation. Um, but until such time as there's enough of a will politically to get something like that passed, I think what we do is keep highlighting it. But here's what here's what escapes me. Here's probably what concerns me, Chris, more than anything. It's not that even just that Facebook does it. It's it's that there's there are such barriers to competition. Take for example example Parler, which was and is a competing more conservative or shall we say mainstream platform for people to to socialize on. <clears throat> Parler was shut down not by the government, not by Facebook or their competitors, more direct competitors, Twitter. They were shut down by Amazon. Why? Because Amazon owns many of the servers that they ride on. So their Amazon's using their utility um, power to shut down a competitor. That is the essence of antitrust. That's the essence of antitrust. So I do think some of these states are on the right path. But, but here, here's the other thing, the, the bigger, higher level concern I have. These are communications companies. These are platforms designed to share information. What bothers me is their CEOs, their owners, their founders seem to not even have a fundamental understanding of how special the United States of America is. They don't have any concept of how fantastic their freedom is. They have no appreciation for the fact that in no other country in the world could they do what they do here. Sir, they're American-based 
on purpose. You are reading my mind. We're going to get to the China thing in a moment where I think there's some pretty shocking news there. So let's let's talk about this for a moment. Um, you had tweeted out uh, on March 14th because Dr. Fauci was suggesting, hey, President Trump should push his reporters to get the COVID vaccine. You said Fauci can't be this ignorant. Freedom lovers don't just follow Trump on command. Their views on personal privacy and skepticism. Last night, President Trump did a, an interview with Maria Bartiromo on Fox News and says, hey, I would, I'm quoting here, I would recommend it. I would recommend it to a lot of people that don't want to get it. And a lot of those people voted for me. We have our freedoms. We have to live by that. And I agree with that also. I was pretty stunned by that. I want to get your reaction to President Trump recommending the COVID-19 vaccine. Well, first of all, Chris, I wasn't surprised he did that. Because as you know, he was quite bullish on the vaccine. And by the way, could we take this moment just to say thank you very much, President Trump, for Operation Warp Speed, for getting us three vaccines in super duper record time, something that no other president in yours in my lifetime would have or could have done. They wouldn't have done it because they wouldn't have worked that hard. They wouldn't have worked that hard on it. Uh, nobody would have pushed the FDA and the bureaucracy the way Donald Trump did. That's why he became president. That's why we have three vaccines today. He's, he also took the vaccine, as you know, he, he and uh, the first lady did uh, very quietly in January. Uh, um, so I was surprised that he, that he advocates for it and that he suggested that people do it. But the, um, the bottom line is this, that he also recognized my point. People are free to do what they want. And the reason free people follow Donald Trump and support Donald Trump is because he respects that freedom. Anthony Fauci, on the other hand, seems to have no respect for that liberty. And that's what makes us conservatives. That's what makes us Republicans. It's what makes us want to support Donald Trump as opposed to the other way around. And I think Anthony Fauci illustrated in those statements in the, to the Sunday TV shows that he doesn't understand that, that he doesn't understand that the heart of a conservative is somebody who takes personal responsibility, appreciates personal liberty, and at the same time appreciates personal privacy. And uh, so anyway, that, that's what I was tweeting Senator, about. I hear the governors talk about their vaccination rates, and, and you are able to dive into this a heck of a lot better than I am. Is there, and I'm only saying this because even when President Biden got up to speak and he did his address, you know, fairly recently, there's just such a conversation about take the vaccine, take the vaccine. Is there some kind of financial incentive for states that have high vaccination rates or am I missing something? Or are they just pushing it because they want to push it or what? Yeah, so good good point. I, I don't know what's in the heart of every state or every governor or whatnot. But Chris, what I think is, I do think there is a natural appropriate incentive. And that is they want to get things back to normal as quickly as they can. They know that the vaccine is the, the fastest vehicle to getting to herd, uh, herd immunity. <clears throat> Although I have a sense that if, if they tested everybody in America for antibodies, they'd find out there's a lot more you know, immunity out there than they even know about. But I think that's what the vaccine does. It represents the best opportunity for these mayors and these states to reopen for business and, and to generate the type of you know, economic activity that results in, in a booming economy and, and revenue for their priorities, things like that. Have you taken the shot? And if not, will you take it as soon as you have the opportunity? So as you know, I've had the opportunity quite early on because they did, they made members of Congress um, a high priority for the continuation of government argument. Um, I did not, I think you probably know, I did test positive for the antibodies. I never had a positive test for, um, 
for the uh, for the the pandemic or for the virus. Uh, although I did test multiple times, but I did have a, a very positive a positive test, strong test for antibodies, which means I obviously had the virus at some point, and uh, just have no idea when because I've never had a symptom. <laughs> that said, I because of that, and because frankly, as a pretty healthy 60 year old man. I didn't really feel all that comfortable getting ahead of the line, even though I'm a United States Senator, I'm pretty sure there are other people that can handle it. Um, but I will in fact, take it. Um, I will in fact, get the vaccine. In fact, I might even be scheduled to do it. I'm just not sure right now, but I've been waiting to, to let the, the, you know, the antibodies wear off a little bit. In fact, I've been, I've been advised by uh, a few doctors that there's no reason for somebody that has antibodies to get the vaccine. In fact, there could be a detriment to that um, with your system. So they, they advise waiting. Thank you for that, sir. So I want I want to share something with you. And again, kind of big picture, your reaction to this, what I'm going to share with you are a couple of, of comments from March 8th of 2020, one from Dr. Fauci, one from the former U.S. Surgeon General about masks. And I think what has people so up in arms, sir, is how many, much of this has seemed fairly arbitrary. I'm sure you've seen the recent study now at schools where they're saying whether you're six feet or three feet social distancing doesn't really matter when it comes to the transmission. And you think about the impact we've had on our kids and our society based on this six foot rule that now seems to be completely arbitrary and not even accurate. It's just stunning. And so I want to play this for you and then we will talk about it uh, on the other side. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it, because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. Thank you, and stay safe by washing your hands, by covering your cough, by staying home if you're sick. Masks do not work for the general public in preventing them from getting coronavirus. All right, an elbow bump. What? <laughs> I'm just going to let that sit there and let you react, sir. So, Chris, we know that this has been a moving target. We know that a lot of good, smart people, like the, the, the Surgeon General, like um, Dr. Fauci, uh, have changed their opinions through this. I think one of the, the the challenges that this pandemic has presented is actions required like every day, <laughs> and we don't oftentimes have the advantage of history or or you know even having the type of science um, available to us. But we do have previous experiences, and I think that's what they were talking about early on. I am of the personal belief, having watched that, having listened to others. <clears throat> You know, that, that masks, in fact, I, I will back up. I, I've read a, a number of studies, including, and I forget which one it was now, but one of the medical journals did a study on masks. They actually used the terminology talisman. That it, it serves as a talisman. Oh, the talisman is, this, that, that's sort of the group thing, you know, um, it makes everybody feel better, to, the way Dr. Fauci put it. That's not completely unimportant, for sure. But, it, but wearing masks makes a lot of people feel a lot worse, the, both the mask wearer and the people around them, and particularly in schools where relationships between the students and the teacher are such a critical part of learning. So I don't know what to believe. I do know this. I think a lot of honest mistakes were made in the name of 
CYA. I think a lot of honest mistakes were in, in advising were made in the, in the name of um, the, the, the least risk, you know, the most risk averse. Um, but it's really time to move on. And frankly, especially now with so many people having the antibodies and so many people having the vaccines, and though there's a mixed message now that really is confusing. So yeah, I agree with you. It's time to move on. I just want to play it for you because I, I, you know, there were people that were assaulted in different stores across the country if they didn't have a mask and whatnot. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, I, I just don't want to see Americans be sheeple, right? And I hear that, and like all these people, they got different conversations around masks, and then you have two people there saying, "Don't do it," and that that's where I have concern. Like, let's just all take a deep breath. Let's think for ourselves. Let's do the right thing for our community and our families, and uh, we'll go from there. So. I want to ask you this, sir. Uh, it has been now over a year since we've had this virus in our country. Tomorrow, uh, the U.S. and China meet in Alaska. Can you now tell us where this virus came from? Did it come from a lab? Did it come from an animal? What's going on? And if not, how do we not know that by now? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know how we do not know that by now. Um, and if we do, I don't. <laughs> you know, if, if there's somebody that does. Um, certainly investigations are ongoing, but the, the World Health Organization is such an apologist for China that I, it's, you certainly can't rely on them to get us the information. Um, you can't rely for good reason, for understandable reasons, on uh, the state-owned media in China to get uh, get to the bottom of it and reveal it. Um, they don't let a lot of our people in to, to do the type of investigation that would be necessary. So w whether we'll ever know it, I'm not, I'm not completely certain, but... Um, but we ought to keep, you know, insisting on answers, and we ought to, we ought to condition our our relationship with China uh, on getting answers to that, Chris. But we also have to remember and understand, and I think we've come to a realization. In fact, I would submit to you that one of the more bipartisan, um, one of the more bipartisan issues growing in this country and around the world is that China is a bad actor. Thank you, Donald Trump, for, for bringing that to our attention as well, because there were a lot of uh, Chinese, uh, China apologists, I don't want to say Chinese, but China apologists, including the current president, as recently as last summer and fall when he was running for the job, um, you know, who, who, who weren't where a lot of people are today. So um, we just have to come to realize that China is a bad actor. And by the way, we, you know, someday we could, we could do a whole one of these just on China and our relationship and the things that I well, see in armed services committee hearings and other places. I, I want to jump in this a little bit, sir, because there is a story coming out of Fox News. Former top state department investigator says COVID uh, resulted from a bioweapons research accident. I'm going to quote from the article, sir. This was this came out on March 12th. The state Department's former lead investigator who oversaw task force into COVID-19 virus origin tells Fox he, he not only believes the virus escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but that it may have been the result of research that the Chinese military, and I'm going to make a point here because I want to talk about this, or People's Liberation Army was doing on a as a bioweapon. And then today, Chinese state media comes out with this, lead scientist of the WHO, talking about the release of the, of the WHO thing that came out on February 9th, suggesting it didn't come from a lab, which, like, we're supposed to believe that. Right. I guess what I want to get at is, is do you, based on what you see here from a top state investigator, do you have more of an inkling that it came from a lab or do you have no idea? And the People's China's Liberation Party recently attacked, did a cyber attack against North Dakota. So just your comments out in general, sir. So a few, few things. First of all, with regard to the lab, the lab question, where it came from, we, 
I don't know that, and I'm certainly far from an expert, Chris, and short of getting a classified briefing from people who are experts that I would trust, I wouldn't want to make that claim. Obviously, my words matter. Um, so I'd want to be careful about that. But there's every reason in the world to not trust what's coming out of China. And if, if in fact, it was a, a weapon experiment gone bad or re weapons development gone bad, <clears throat> I would tell you this, it could be a pretty effective weapon. The problem I would see with it, the way the virus has behaved is, of course, it didn't, it, it doesn't exempt anybody, including people in China. So um, on the other hand, remembering who China, you know, what, who, who runs China and the, and the Communist Party of China, it's not beyond them to just simply use people. As we know, a lot of Chinese people just disappear and a lot of their problems just disappear. So I don't, I don't, again, I don't want to necessarily predict you know, what was the motive of it, but we do know that it started in, in China and any claims to the contrary are ridiculous. So let me let me just put a button on this, and then we'll get into tomorrow's meeting. This gentleman, also top state uh, State Department investigator, says, "Hey, you've taken out 15 to 20 percent of the global GDP. You've killed millions of people. The Chinese population's barely been affected, and their economies roared back to being number one in the entire G20." That's what he's suggesting. This was used as a bioweapon. So having all that in the context, what do you want to see come out of these meetings between the U.S. and China and Alaska tomorrow? Well, you know, this is, a, this is a tough one, Chris, because you know what's interesting? I think it's worth North Dakotans remembering this. A year ago when we were starting this whole thing out, remember the president, in fact, I sat in the front row at the White House when the Chinese officials and, the, and President Trump signed the uh, China trade deal. And all the while, you know, being very suspicious of their willingness to actually carry all of this out. So you fast forward that several weeks and, and some months, and, and here we are with this, this virus that originated in China. And the, and the challenge is, remember that, that I was ridiculed by the current president, then uh, you know, helping the person that was running against, um, that I was running against a couple of years prior, um, ridiculing me about my statement that our farmers are patriotic and we're, you know, we're willing to stand with our president during these, these difficult trade negotiations. Well, the fact of the matter is we're, we're way back up again in sales to China. We like sales to China. China's, you know, nearly one and a half billion hungry people that eat products that we provide them. So how do you, how do you get into a negotiation with a country like that, realizing that we, need, we have something they want and they're willing to pay for it, while at the same time, we can't pretend that there's something that they're not. This is a state run economy. These are communists. These are thuggish, you know, communists. I, frankly, what I, what I hope happens tomorrow is a clear-eyed understanding of who they are, and they need to have a clear understanding of what we won't tolerate. And and I think we have to be prepared, which is why we need to continue to negotiate with our neighbors, with our allies in their neighborhood. So let me ask you this, sir, because I know that you obviously, you just mentioned you took a lot of heat from uh, your former opponent and now current president about this. I'm curious, has the Biden administration taken the tariffs away and off of China? Um, no, in fact, no, so, they haven't. So, so the China issue, remember what I said a little bit ago, China <laughs> is starting to become a unifying issue in, in Washington to the point where it may very well be that yet this spring, the first real big bipartisan piece of legislation that comes to the Senate floor by Chuck Schumer will be uh, a China 
piece of legislation. So it's, you know, we haven't even begun to talk about their, their uh, human rights abuses. Well, and, yet, so. and sir, I'm just, I just think you're being humble. My, my point is, I mean, how often did we hear about, oh, these, these tariffs are terrible. It's going to, yeah, and now Biden <laughs> hasn't been able to take them off. I mean, so they like, okay, they, they can't be that bad. Let's talk about the other big issue that's happening. Unless um, we'll, we'll do the human rights thing at another time, just because of time sake, sir. Um, this one, this one's hard for me. The Southern border. I mean, there, there's now been reports of four people matching the terror watch list. Right. All these unaccompanied minors coming in. And I want to ask it in this context, sir. You've got thousands and thousands of unaccompanied minors coming in. I'm presuming some of them may speak a little bit English, but they're maybe not fluent. What is, how how is that going to impact our education system as these people begin to spread across the country? And how are we going to fund? And they got to they've got to know how to read and write and know our language. So how are we going to fund English as a second language for a lot of these people? Well, Chris, b- before we even get to that. Here we are on the on the healing side of this pandemic. Hospitals finally getting a lot of their capacity back that they that they reserved before for COVID. And uh, and when I say hospital, I'm talking about medical facilities along the border, cities and states along the, the southern border. And now we're being inundated with thousands and thousands of people. 100,000 apprehensions in the month of February alone, that's the largest February apprehension rate in 15 years. A lot of these people require medical attention immediately. None of this is something they're going to pay for. All of this is taking, again, uh, um, our medical capacity away from American citizens and, and, uh, and costing a great deal of money. And then you throw on top of that the education system and everything else. Remember that they're they're afforded legal protections. They, they get lawyers that we pay for. They get beds that we pay for. They and, and of course, President Biden. Speaking of things that he's undone, that the pres that his predecessor President Trump did that were good ideas, he threw them out just because they were Trump's ideas. How about the fact that he eliminated the catch and release, or he reinstated the catch and release? Um, policy of the Obama administration. And on top of that, he eliminated the Remain in Mexico policy, which prevented 80% of the illegal immigration coming across our border. 80%. And then he eliminated the, the deal we made with the three Central American countries, the Central American Triangle countries, uh, including Honduras and, and El Salvador and Guatemala and created the incentive for them to come back, come to the United States. Anyway, I know you know all of this. It's going to cost us tons. So what's interesting, sir, is I remember how the liberal media was up in arms suggesting that President Trump was separating young people from their families. There are reports now that now that President Joe Biden's created this magnet saying, hey, if you're an unaccompanied minor, we're going to keep you here. Parents are, are pushing their kids out of their homes in Central America and Mexico to come here. I mean, but no one's talking about the separation of kids and families. Quick question. I want to back just, up. Can I just correct one thing? People Please. are talking about it. It's just that your colleagues in the national media aren't presenting the presenting that those talking uh, people because 99% of what the media in this country wants is Joe Biden to look smarter than he is and Donald Trump to look like the perpetrator. And the reality is it's exactly the other way around. That, that, sir, I watch the Sunday shows. I, I, I don't know how you deal with some of your colleagues. They, they just flat out lie and don't even don't even blink. It's like they're it's so I want to ask you this because Catherine brings up a great point just to back up for a moment. 
I have heard this story, don't know a lot about it, maybe you do, but the war games done by China and Canada, where Canada and Trudeau is literally bringing in some people from the Chinese military. Do you know anything about that? Or what can you tell us? Well, I, I don't, and I can't really tell you anything so about it. <laughs> um, um, but here's another area where we have some grand opportunities. Just the other day, um, we had, we had a, first I had a private meeting with um, the, the, uh, the com combatant commander, uh, General Van Herc of, of NORTHCOM and NORAD. So NORTHCOM being the Northern Command, NORAD being the uh, Northern Aerospace. It's a relationship com command with, with Canada. Largely looks out for the Arctic region. Um, very, very important relationship. The, the, the General Van Herc is the, uh, he's the general for, for both of those. And then we had him at a uh, Senate Armed Services Committee hearing um, a couple of days after that. Um, we, we have a lot of relationship, obviously very important relationship with our Canadian partners. Uh, the Arctic is a very important domain that requires protection and requires awareness. If anybody wants to go back and watch my cross-examination, you, you'll see some of that on there. North Dakota has an, a role, an important role, and I think an increasingly important role in observing that domain. Mm. And if Canada's Canada should not be playing with China. And, and, and Chris, and you'll, you can be very helpful to me on this. In fact, I'll just announce it to you right now and to all your viewers. Just yesterday, um, we were talking about that in, in the shop here. In the, when I called my office the shop. Uh, in the shop here, and we're, we're going to put together a, a few little PSA type of deals that show some charts and graphs with regard to China's uh, ambitions and its its military growth. We talk a lot about its economic growth. We talk a lot about the, its economic warfare that it plays. Um, a lot about how they, they use soft um, power in South America. I can't go on and do a lot of that. There's a lot of new stuff going on. Um, certainly Africa, we're very familiar with that. Um, they're whipping us in lots of ways, Chris, where we're retreating and they're very aggressive, but it includes in, in the military realm. So we, one thing I would say, and I, I, get, I want to get back to this because you, you brought it up. This is a growing um, unifying theme that China is bad. And that includes a lot of our allies that previously were not as anti-China as they are today. The United States needs to be the lead voice in that, just like they are at NATO with regard to Russia. We need to, to demonstrate our leadership um, and it's going to cost us a lot but we have got to insist that our allies are in sync with us. So, sir, I want to get, follow up on this. You mentioned some soft power moves in South America. Are you referring to Venezuela specifically? Um, well, you know, I'm going to leave it at that for now, Chris, um, because because there's just when I start talking about these things, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to wade into areas that that might be classified. But but just know. And we know that they've done a lot of this with their Belt and Road Initiative. What they use is they use generosity, um, you know, with infrastructure. They use predatory financing. They're financial traps. So, so they'll trap people in debt, you know, developing countries. And, and what they, that does is that gives them access to their people. It gives them access to their territories. Mm -hmm. We sort of retreat because we're, you know, we're sort of in an America first mode, but we can't become America only mode. We have to be able to use all of our tools, including diplomacy, soft power, as well as the, the awesome deterrence of mili military might. So, 
let, let me throw at something theoretical and just for our audience, for people that don't follow this very closely, and I'm not going to put words in Senator Kramer's mouth, but, but if you, if it is happening in Venezuela, folks, put your eyes on it. Venezuela is one of the most mineral rich nations on the planet. We all know that their government's a debacle and they can start feeding those people in, in Venezuela and doing some things to uh, ingratiate them to China. We are, that is not a good sign for the United States of America. And what I want to share with you there, sir, is, is there any possibility that China is somehow because somehow behind this move of caravans and migration up to the southern border? Because let's be honest, we all know if you if you flood the market with cheap labor and then all, all of our jobs are going over to China via Wall Street, who's going to work? I mean, what are people going to do? And, and no one's going to work for pennies. Well, Chris, and there therein lies the other major problem. Earlier we were talking about the cost, the cost of educating, the cost of healthcare to, to a flood of migrants coming across the border. But there is that economic cost to the economy itself with a, you know, a cheap labor force, um, in many cases, that works you know, under the table. And, and all of those things that, of course, makes our labor um, less competitive. And what we ought to be doing is, is exactly the opposite, not letting that happen, but bringing more of our supply chains that have been going to China, and that includes everything from pharmaceuticals, food, um, manufacturing, certainly, certainly um, rare earth minerals. Chris, when you start talking about, a, you know, a, a, a things like computer chips and even clean energy, instead of pushing, you know, fossil fuel energy, for example, and dependence to the Middle East, which is what the Biden administration is doing, we ought to be we ought to be investing more in it in our country, keeping the high paying jobs here, putting more of the supply chain here. So anyway, I'm getting a right, sir. Well, let's, we'll let you go. But I think if you want to touch on this, Senator, um, some really good news. In fact, we're going to have a conversation with them tomorrow. But the EERC is suggesting that they are beginning to find rare earth minerals in North Dakota coal. So, I mean, if we could help, you know, when and, that and happens. we've known that we've known that for some time, Chris, and, and it, it's um, actually, you know, we're learning more and more, obviously, all the time. You're right. And there are some pretty non-intrusive ways to get some of those minerals out as well. We can be, our innovators will always solve the problem if we don't kill them. <laughs> and that's what I worry about with some of these sort of knee-jerk, clean power, you know, clean energy sort of initiatives. They're killing the innovators. They're going to solve the problems that the world needs. Sir, do you have time for one last question? Somebody um, keeps calling me on Skype. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll be very brief. But I, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. We've kind of alluded to this question in the past, and I just want to get your take. So what, what I find fascinating from the media perspective right now at our southern border is that, you know, Arizona is having some challenges, but the, but the spotlight's really on Texas. It is. And I'm wondering, your take is, is there a, again, some sort of idea that, hey, let's flood Texas and we can turn Texas blue? So it's an interesting question, Chris, because one of the, I think, one of the interesting things about Texas is um, because of their influx of, of legal immigrants uh, in recent years, there is a fair chance that, that Texas could get a couple, maybe three more congressional seats. They, in all likelihood, with the lines being drawn by the Republican legislature in Texas, would very likely be Republican congressional seats. Isn't that interesting? Um which is part of the reason why HR1, the god-awful election reform bill that came out of the House of Representatives, wants to take 
and by the way, the Constitution gives le state legislatures the, the line drawing responsibility, um, but they want to take that responsibility away from them and give it to the, the D.C. court system, if you can imagine, um, to draw the, the, the lines for congressional districts. But um, I, that's a, a plausible case, Chris. But remember, when you have a porous border like that, and you talked about it up front, there are people coming across, including I think four recently they were they're on the terror watch list that aren't coming from Central America and they're not coming from Mexico. They're not even coming from Latin America. They're coming from Haiti. They're coming from every place around the country. So what or around the world. So whatever the motive is to get into the United States, whether it's to do harm, whether it's to improve your life, whether it's to escape, um, you know, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, rogue country, whatever it might be legitimate or not. Um, the southern border of the United States is a place to flood. Whether they would try to flood Texas specifically with that kind of a, a political move in mind, I don't know. But I do know that it's an issue that doesn't poll well for Democrats. And uh, I don't think Joe Biden right now is thinking this was the smartest idea he's had in the last couple of months. But we'll see. Senator, last question for you. What about the cyber attack by China on North Dakota? It happened a couple of weeks ago. Governor Burgum alluded to it as sort of an act of war is the way he framed it in his meeting. I just want to see if you've got any information on that for us. Well, I know probably as much as you do and as much as the governor, maybe, maybe a little more. But um, China's very good at this. They've done it for a long time. We don't know exactly what information they have or whatever they've gotten, what they've done with it, whether it's even useful to them. The problem is they've proven capable of doing it. Um, we're pretty good at defense against it as well, Chris. We're we're really quite good at offense as well. And 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 maybe the, what the governor's talking about is is that an uh, an offensive attack like this on us demands a similar attack back. Um, we'll see what happens. We don't always know what's going on in cyber warfare. We're quite good at it, but we need to probably get better at defending against it as well. Yeah, Senator, you're always so gracious with your time. So I really really appreciate it. It's great to have you and keep up the great work, sir. Well, keep your eyes on Iran because Iran is another one of those issues that's percolating to the top. Um, maybe next time we can talk more about that. Can you give us some idea of what you're suggesting here, sir? I mean, are they going to come to the table or? Well, so it's interesting. You know, one of the things I've been a little bit encouraged by, frankly, is that the Biden administration, for all their talk of wanting to get us back into the Iran nuclear deal, speaking of speaking of sanctions and stuff, have been pretty slow to do it. I've been able to cross-examine now three different um, Biden nominees, one being um, the uh, Secretary now of Defense, um, uh, General Austin, and um, and then we've got uh, the Deputy Secretary, uh, De Secretary um, Hicks, and and now the third one that wants to be the uh, Under Secretary for for um, for policy, and they've all been well. Let me skip the third one. The first two have been pretty solid on their concerns about Iran, about going slow, about dealing with Iran, concerns about not just their nuclear ambitions, but just their ballistic um, ambitions. And, and, and these are things that have already, you know, these are things that have already um, run out of time, if you will, that the uh, this, that have sunset. So Iran's a major player, as we know. We're, we have talked to the uh, um, Central Com Commander and, and wondering about how they're monitoring the movement of, of oil ships Obviously, they're coming out of Iran. Even our allies in India have now prepared to maybe accept Iranian oil. Uh, so there's a there's a lot to the Iranian situation that we need to keep our eyes on um, because they're they're a problem in a very important neighborhood, as you know. Well, yeah, and you just mentioned the oil piece that we obviously uh, need to figure out what we're going to do with 
putting their oil on the market. So thank you, sir. We appreciate that. You bet. My pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. We'll do more. And thank you for uh, the time and the insight. Have a great, great rest of your day. Okay. Thanks. You too. Bye now.